0: This is West Virginia Morning, I'm Teresa Wills. At some point, many West Virginians are faced with the problem of taking over their parents' finances and care.
1: We are dealing with people who can no longer make day-to-day basic decisions for themselves.
0: That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. The West Virginia coal industry's top lobbyist says mine companies are having trouble finding workers, and he'd like lawmakers to help recruit and train them. Curtis Tate has more.
2: West Virginia coal mines could hire several hundred workers if it could find them. That's what Chris Hamilton, president of the West Virginia Coal Association, told members of the Senate Energy, Industry, and Mining Committee
3: on Tuesday. You know, we ought to be recruiting people from around the country, bringing them here, providing them land and opportunities within our industrial sector.
2: Hamilton said Senate Bill 157 could help do that by funding the Coalfield Community Development Office. That office has been dormant for at least a decade, Hamilton said. The state employs about 13,000 full-time mine workers. Coal production has been up in the past year, but the industry has been limited by its ability to find new workers. The committee approved the bill and sent it to the Finance Committee. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston.
0: During last night's program of the legislature today, government reporter Randy Yowie sat down with House Speaker Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, to discuss early childhood education and money for coalfield communities, among other things.
3: Let's start out with one that's close to your heart, early childhood education. It is. It seems like everybody is on the same sheet of music right now. We saw where uh, Superintendent Roach had come out with his plan for the first, second, third, and fourth grade. I know that you've had a plan for first and second grade teachers' aides. Then the governor in the state of the state says, let's put $37 million into first grade teacher aides. Tell me why that's so important, not for, just for those grades, but for the entire West Virginia education system.
4: Yeah, it is. I'm happy to talk about that because earlier this fall we saw some numbers on, on, yeah. on, on performance scores from our public education students that really should, should give all of us a moment of pause, Randy. I, I, I think that if coronavirus has taught us anything over the course of the past couple of years, it is that remote education is tough and distance learning is difficult under even the best of circumstances. So one of the things that we know from the data is that teaching students how to read by the time they finish the third grade is really really a a sweet spot that if we don't if we don't help students learn to read at grade level by the time they reach the third grade the likelihood of them ever reading at grade level in their lifetimes is a single-digit number is 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 very small and falls off precipitously even after that so we really have an opportunity here with the surpluses that we're seeing in terms of the budget now and the influx of federal money that our, our counties and boards of education as well as the state have received to make a meaningful impact on not just public education in, in the first, second, and third grade, but really in the whole the whole continuum of K through 12 education. Because getting students up to grade level early helps them be successful the whole rest of their time in, in, the, in the school system and, and in life.
3: And you're a data-driven guy and the data really shows that in first, second, and third grade, an impetus there makes a whole difference for kids that get into high school and want to go on to secondary it, it
4: really does. And you're right, I do like, I like making decisions based on numbers, I like making decisions based on data, and that's, that's what the numbers show. The numbers tell us that we need to get it done
3: and we need to get it done by the third grade. Let's jump around a little bit. Let's talk about economic development and specifically site preparation. Now, we saw that many of the 29 companies that came into West Virginia last year are non-fossil-based, are Mm -hmm. renewable Mm energy-based. And you and I have talked before that this is a whole new era for West Virginia. And maybe that's not even a new era anymore. Now it's our era. I don't think we can take new off of that, perhaps, but we've talked about not laying a flat piece of land out anymore and saying, Okay, this is ready for economic development. What are some of the specifics now that we need to do for site preparation and is there any legislation that goes into that?
4: Yeah, it doesn't just stop with a flat piece of property anymore Randy you're right about that, even though that continues to be a, a bottleneck for us, and we still have to <laughs> we still have to continue putting money into making sure that we're 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 ready when a company wants to come here and and build a facility but it's no longer just about having that flat piece of property now it's about having adequate transportation and in and transportation corridors to that site it's about having uh, transmission and distribution electricity delivered to that site. It's about having natural gas ready at that site. And, and even at, to peel back the onion one layer further, it's it's perhaps not just enough to say we have electricity at that site, it's do we have the kind of electricity at that site that the customer wants to buy. So you, you mentioned some of those non-fossil generating assets that are beginning to pop up around West Virginia. Where, where we are today, Randy, is where I think we have been as as long as we have been a state, and that is that we want to produce the energy that powers the world. We want to produce the energy that powers manufacturing, that powers the service industry, that, pow- that powers the world. And for, for, for two centuries, the energy that powered the world was our fossil fuel industry here in West Virginia. It's still powering much of the world. And as long as it powers the world, we want to be a player in that game. But we also want to be producing energy from every source that customers want to buy. And as long as customers are looking to buy energy, from non-carbon sources, then we want to produce it. If they want to buy cheap energy at, 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 at prices that are only competitive right now from fossil sources, then we want to produce that. We, we want to be in the energy game in every way that you can take that statement.
3: Now, we're still producing coal, but there's a lot of coal communities in southern West Virginia that don't have that economy, don't have that severance money that they had before Drastic, Grastic, drastic cut. A couple of years ago, you organized a committee of delegates. You sent them down to meet in a number of different coal communities to find out what they needed to do to revitalize their non-coal-based economy anymore, and out of that came the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Committee. It sure did. It, it passed the House, it passed the Senate, mm-hmm. the governor signed off on it. It was to supply, tough to get, matching grant money, I wanna read this, and help write, facilita- and write and facilitate federal grants, which isn't easy for some <laughs> local That's mayor. That's exactly right. But now, there's not been a commission formed. There's not been any funding. You've disbanded your committee. Some people down there in the coalfield, the uh, mayors and, and, and councilmen and, and commissioners are going, what happened? Well
4: oh, the funding has been allocated. In fact, we've got people who are applying to it. We, we, have, we, have, local, we have localities that are applying right now for that matching money. So, so. there's a
3: commission that's, that there is a commission formed.
4: The actual commissioners are, are to be named by the governor, so okay. not to be named by the legislature. And I knew that hadn't happened. Uh, it hasn't, although I did speak to the governor's uh, staff about naming the commissioners in that just this morning.
0: That was House Speaker Roger Hanshaw speaking with Randy Yowie. To hear more of this interview, visit wvpublic.org and search for the legislature today. You can also tune in to the legislature today every evening at 6 p.m. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 752. Variable cloudiness today, breezy in the southeast, highs in the 40s and low 50s. A chance of rain tonight and gusty wind, lows in the 40s. Tomorrow, a chance of rain and windy with highs in the 50s and low 60s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSavalaw.com At some point, many West Virginians are faced with the problem of taking over their parents' finances and care. As part of his ongoing series, Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents, News Director Eric Douglas spoke with Frankie Parsons, a Charleston attorney who specializes in estate planning and works with families who may need a conservatorship or guardianship.
2: What does it take or what, what condition does a person have to be in to qualify or, or where, where the family starts thinking about we need to establish a guardianship for the for – the.
1: My clients who come to me nine times out of ten have an adult parent who is showing, I mean, outward signs of diminished capacity.
2: And are you talking physically – physical capacity or mental capacity?
1: Having diminished physical capacity, meaning you're having a hard time getting around, is not criteria to have a guardianship. Okay. Okay. We are dealing with people who can no longer make day to day basic decisions for themselves.
2: Right. Okay. How does that process start? You, you say, Mom's not doing well. She, you know, she can't handle her own checkbook anymore. Um, do I call an attorney first? Do I call the doctor? I mean, where, where do you get started in that process?
1: Normally what I'm dealing with is a, an adult child who comes to me and says, my mom is not doing well and you know, outlines the ins and outs of what's going wrong. Now, what we will need as part of this proceeding is an affidavit from a physician outlining the mental condition so at some point a doctor is going to need to be involved you can't just come to me irritated with your mom and say I need to be her guardian that's not how it works we need a physician's documentation that there is in fact uh, you know a diminished mental capacity or some type of issue
2: I assume then we're we're going before a judge or of some sort
1: you'll complete the petition and it's basic information the person's name, address, age, and then what we call in the code interested parties. So that would be, let's say you have three brothers and sisters. All of the children of that person would be listed, and the code prescribes if you don't have kids, you know, who we go down the line of who should be notified right. as an interested okay. person. Official notice goes out that way. Now, each county does this differently. In Kanawha County, I the attorney would handle that. Um, Truthfully, I don't know what what pro se petitioners would do in Kanawha County. I'm assuming they would handle that on their own. I don't think the court would take up that ball for them (laughs) for not having a lawyer. Uh, And at that point, anybody, there will be a period after that until the hearing is scheduled. So it, it goes in front of a mental hygiene commissioner. Anybody in this period of time can follow response an objection if so there there are several steps and safeguards that we are not violating someone's due process or their legal rights of any variety by just assigning them a guardian
2: yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking there's yeah this isn't just oh I'm going to take over my mom's estate and no and I'm going to start whip out her paycheck or her checkbook and start writing checks there's there's a number of steps, this, and this isn't something that happens overnight either. I assume this probably takes a couple months by the time it's all said and done. Usually. Yeah. It,
1: uh, I mean, it, it's not as long as other legal processes that I'm involved in. But, yeah, it, it's it's usually from start to finish, two to three months, depending on if I'm waiting on that physician's affidavit. Sometimes it takes a while. Doctors are very busy. Once you have all the information, it, the courts handle those fairly quickly.
2: Okay. What haven't we talked
1: about? One thing I do want to say that I think people in general need to hear. People will come in and sit down in my office with me and say, I am so embarrassed to tell you this. Don't, don't. Because number one, that's what we're there for is to help you through situations that require a legal navigator. Number two, you would have no reason to know how to do a lot of these things if you have never encountered a need an elderly parent before, you know, that you're segueing into this part of your life where your parents now need to be parented. If you've never been there before and you're not a lawyer, you wouldn't know what to do. Sure. So there's no shame in not knowing. There is no shame in, you know, I need to go through this process and need the help of an attorney. There's no shame in that at all. You have no reason to know what I know because I do it for 10 hours every day So or, or manage these cases for 10 hours every day.
0: That was Frankie Parsons speaking with Eric Douglas about legal aspects of caring for older adults as part of the radio series Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents. You can find the other stories in this series on our website at wvpublic.org. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.